Welcome to the Actionable Futurist Podcast, a show all about the near-term future with practical and actionable advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of? With voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and actionable futurist, Andrew Grill. Today's guest is Christina Kosmowski. Her Twitter bio describes her as a customer-obsessed CEO changing the very role of IT with customers at the center. She's a wife, mother, engineer, STEM advocate, and soccer lover. As CEO of Logic Monitor, Christina is responsible for accelerating the company's hyper-growth and delivering on its brand promise of helping C-level executives and their teams thrive through transformation. Prior to assuming the role of CEO, Christina served as Logic Monitor's president, leading go-to-market strategy, R&D, customer success, and operations. Christina came to Logic Monitor from Slack, where she spent four years building and leading customer success and enterprise go-to-market teams, and also spent 15 years at Salesforce, where she oversaw functions including renewals, consulting, support, and customer success. Outside of Logic Monitor, Christina serves on the board of Rapid7. She's also a founding partner of Operator Collective, an organization that brings together people from diverse backgrounds to invest in and accelerate the next generation of B2B tech. Christina holds a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering from Northwestern University, where she was captain of the varsity soccer team and currently sits on the McCormick School of Engineering Advisory Board. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Look, it's great to have a fellow engineer on the podcast, and we'll get to that in a bit. But for those that haven't yet heard of Logic Monitor, what do you do and what makes you rise above your competition? We're a purpose-built SaaS item platform. So what does that mean? It means we provide visibility and predictability of the performance of organizations' technology so they can ultimately innovate and deliver customer experiences. And so we are really excited because this becomes critical as companies are in the process of digital transformation and moving to the cloud. And our product architecture, the love we get from our customers and the team and culture we've built really put us ahead of of our competitors. So we're going to talk a lot about customer success, and that's a fairly new term for some of our listeners. So how would you describe the difference between customer success and customer service? I mean, I could talk about customer success all day long. I love putting the customer at the center of everything and was really fortunate at Salesforce to kind of be on the cusp of, of really creating this customer success notion. And so customer support's critical um, when a customer has an issue and they need help right then and there, you've got to be able to provide that. But what's more important is also understanding what does value mean from them and really setting them up for success. So thinking through what's the business value, what's the plan you need to get them there? What's How do you proactively do that? And how do you create that relationship between your company and your customers. And so that's really kind of what customer success was intended to do, especially in the rise of SaaS, where your customers constantly have to renew and you have to earn their earn their um, business every day. It's a very different model, isn't it, where every month they could leave, whereas in the past, in, in legacy businesses, you know that they're 18, 24 months away from a renewal, so you can, you can be awful, but having that month-to-month really keeps you on your toes. 
Yeah, exactly. And you constantly have to be looking at value. What is value to that? Not just what is your technology. So what was your biggest learning when you built customer success teams at Slack and at Salesforce? Number one, putting the customer at the center of everything you do is critical. So what decisions are you making? How are you building your product? And ensuring that you're really understanding your customer and they're they're at the core of that. Um, And in order to do that, I've always said process is not the antithesis of innovation. So sometimes you have to create those processes to really enable you to put the customer at the center of what you're doing. And so uh, I often talk about a red account process, which doesn't always sound great, but that's really important is when there's issues that you're seeing or risk you're seeing at your customers, creating a process by which you can put the entire company accountable for that customer, not just a team like customer success. And then finally, tell your customer stories. Um, It's great to have data and understand how your customers are using your product, but it's really important that you bring that to life, especially throughout your company for engineers or even accountants who don't get the opportunity to understand how their work translates to customers. So coming to a CEO role with such a pedigree in customer success, do you think that makes you a better, more customer-obsessed CEO? Absolutely. I mean, we're able to really take a lot of those processes that were created um, and put them at the forefront. And so we're looking at, you know, using data to understand how our customers are using our product. We're putting the customer at all of our decision points and creating kind of our tools and processes around that. And then we're qualitatively telling the customer stories. And so we do all sorts of things on that, like bringing customers in for our all hands, or we've got, you know, customer stories channels in Slack where everybody in the business can hear how our customers are using our products. And do you share that amongst other clients? So one customer, obviously you don't share confident information, but if they've worked out a way to better use your product or they've got a better way of doing business, is it really a smart move to share that amongst your clients because they feel more engaged with you because you're literally helping them be successful in their business, even though you're a supplier? I think that's one of the most important things you can do is connect your customers. And Customers that are in similar stages in the journey with your product, customers that are solving similar business challenges, they want to hear from each other. Um, And where you as a company can kind of facilitate that, that's really powerful. And it also shows that you're, you're confident and you're learning and iterating together. You're not just feeling like um, you know everything. You're really kind of making this a two-way dialogue. So I read a really interesting quote you posted on LinkedIn recently. Being authentic as a company is just as important as being your authentic self. Your brand is a reflection of you. Can you expand on that? The pandemic, one of the great things that came out of it is that we had windows into people's authentic selves, right? You're starting to see that blend between kind of personal and and, um, professional and in bringing your whole self to work. And when you think about that as a company, you've kind of got to do that same thing, which is really bringing your customers on the journey with you. And we talk about that a lot here at Logic Monitor is I don't want to go back and just deliver product and an end product to our customers and say, what do you think? I want to bring it to them and say, hey, we're building this new feature. We're building this new product. Will you do that with us and kind of bring them in early stages so that you are iterating, getting that feedback, 
and going on the journey together. So how does your own personal brand show up authentically? For me, I think it is, it's all around that. This kind of iteration and feedback loops are really important uh, for me as a leader as well. And so really kind of bringing frameworks together, but then engaging the teams to help solve problems. We talk about failing fast, that concept of, hey, we're going to be bold and we're going to take risks. We're going to understand what success looks like so that we can quickly identify if something's working or not, and then either move on or expand. But we're always willing to kind of take, be bold and take those risks and, and iterate. So you touched on the pandemic. What have you learned during the pandemic as we move to more distributed and remote teams? I started Logic Monitor during the pandemic. And so that was a real challenge. I think I underestimated how hard um, that is to do, especially when you're coming in and you're in a hyper growth company and we're building new products and you're driving change and transformation and people don't know you and they don't trust you. And so how do you build that in this remote way? And so it was really critical that um, I looked for ways to engage and so different ways. And we talk about Zoom and bringing kind of your full self on Zoom and introducing, hey, my house is a mess behind me or my kids are coming in the room. And really getting them to know who you are as a person. Also, really utilizing Slack has been important for me as well. So not only connecting in a synchronous live way in various kind of online Zoom aspects, but also, you know, I've got a channel in Slack that's called Where is Christina? And it's an opportunity where people can't see me every single day like you would back um, before the pandemic in the office, but it's important for them to kind of see what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. And so we make it a little tongue-in-cheek sometimes, but we take different photos of where I am on Zoom or what I'm doing in my house um, so that they can really start to know me and see me um, on a more frequent basis. We learn to be agile and and adapt in, in this concept of iteration that we've, we've talked about so much uh, here just becomes more and more critical. We'll have to send you a photograph of us on the podcast so you can say where yes. Christina, she was on the Action World Futures <laughs> podcast, which you have to subscribe to. We definitely have to do that. I will do that at the end. You made another interesting comment. Literally, you said we had a window on people's lives. I got really good at squinting at people's bookcases to see what they were reading. It actually was the first time when we were, with permission, allowed into someone's home and whatever was behind them was what they wanted us to see. I know. It was, it's great. And what they want to see or what they you, you don't want them to see sometimes too. It, it was great. It's great for people to really connect and get to know people at a different level. So you said you've come into the role during the pandemic. Have you noticed that your management styles changed at all as a result of the pandemic and having to learn fast and adapt to this new way of working and, and managing? Absolutely. I mean, you've got to learn to adapt. Everybody's learning this this concept of change and agility and adaption. And I think that that's even more important when you're in a fast growing industry where your product's changing, your customers are changing, the relationship with your product's constantly changing. And so building that into our culture um, has been really important. And I think the pandemic has helped really understand what that means. Empathy has just become, you know, everyone talks about that, but that's just become more and more critical. Empathy to what different folks are going through. 
the child care crisis has, has been a real challenge in understanding what some of your employees are facing in kind of their home environments. Empathy to your customers and really again, understanding um, who they are as people and what they're driving, not just from the professional aspect. And so it's all been, I think, some goodness that's come out of the pandemic that's forced us to be these more agile, empathetic, and authentic leaders. Five years ago, we would never have had an insight as to why someone was turning up a little bit late or maybe a bit stressed because you sometimes just don't want to ask those questions. We've given each other permission to to literally say, are you okay? Because being locked up for so long, I, I know that many people have wanted to have that feeling of connection. Customer success, it means there must be some customer failures. I'm not going to ask you about any failures you've had in your career. How does losing a customer make you feel and what do you do to analyze a loss? We haven't lost a lot of customers, but sometimes we lose some business from a customer as well. It's horrible. And you've really got to understand what happened there. And I think one, you know, having the the data is is important. So how were they using your product? How were they engaging with you as a company? Were they calling support? Were they attending your events? Were they taking meetings from you? What was that engagement level? I'm really looking through that data. But then two, also having that relationship to be able to have them transparently tell you, you know, what went wrong? What um, was it in the experience they were having? Was your product not delivering the value they needed? Um, And so being able to kind of have those feedback loops and have that relationship with your customers is is key. And then reminding you, we don't know all and we've got to go back and take a look at things with a different lens and really get that feedback and understand those value propositions from from your customers. Now, I mentioned we're both engineers, and I think that's important because my training as an engineer, your training as an engineer, we were taught to understand things from first principles. And often when my friends say, my email's not working, my Wi-Fi's not working, I look at diagnosing and fault-finding in a very different way, going back to first principles. Has your engineering training helped you throughout your career, and in what way? Well, I studied industrial engineering, and at Northwestern, it was all about bringing kind of the business side of engineering together. And that has been a core tenet for me in my career, which is how do we bring kind of the human and the business side to technology? And so I made the move to Salesforce for that reason. I moved into customer success for that reason. I made the move to Slack, Logic Monitor, all around those principles. So that's been a core tenet, number one. And then number two, we talked about these core principles, but using process to enable innovation has been really important. A lot of people think that it's the antithesis of innovation. And when you move fast, you can't have any process, but actually not putting some of those frameworks in place make it really difficult to keep everyone aligned and to understand when you're doing innovation and experiments, what's working and what's not working and kind of have that data and have those proof points. So those two things have been fundamental for me in my in my career. Just staying on the career, again, I saw another talk where you talked about the times you've put up your hand during your career and how that's helped you be successful. You tell a, a wonderful story. I'll just say go. I definitely had a philosophy of just saying yes to to anything. I mean, if you asked my younger self, would I be a CEO of a SaaS tech organization or be in customer success? Like, I didn't even know what that was. So I didn't understand necessarily what I wanted to be when I grew up. 
But what I did understand is that by saying yes to these new experiences, that I was constantly open to ideas and I was moving towards things that I thought were really valuable and interesting and I could make a difference. My first job out of school, actually pre-Salesforce, they were opening an office in London. So you'll appreciate that. I said, yes, I will go there. And that was an incredible experience in learning about international. And then when I heard about Salesforce, it was a small startup, just 20 million in revenue and nobody knew what it was. And I said, yes, I'm going to try that out. And when, when Salesforce said, we need to create this new function called customer success, I said, yes. So I was constantly open to new ideas and you really have no idea um, where these where these will take you. What advice do you have to secondary school students or students of any sort listening to the podcast right now? It's exciting. The world's changing and just really understanding what drives you and having some kind of fundamental core principles and then saying yes based on those core principles and what gives you energy, you're going to have a fantastic uh, career. Now, you were active in soccer in university, just translating that for our British audience, football. How has it helped you with teamwork in companies you've worked in and now lead? I love soccer or football and still very much um, a part of my life. My freshman year in soccer at Northwestern and University, it was our first year as a varsity program. And so we lost like almost every game. We only won three games and I'm an extremely competitive person. So that angered me. Um, and so I went out and I just worked my butt off. I like ran in the snow every day. I trained, I was just constantly training. So I come back sophomore year and I'm just in the best shape of my life. I'm technically sound. I'm ready to go, ready to crush it. So we get there and my teammates kind of look at me and they're like, ah, oh, you know, she's, she's a freak of nature. Oh, you know, here's Christina. And I got really mad in that moment because I said, well, I worked really hard to get here. What were you guys doing this summer? You you should be in my same shape if you'd actually followed these plans. And it was just this kind of light bulb that went off in my head. It's not about me. It's not about me just getting in the best shape. It's about how do I help the rest of the team understand why it's important to do these things and help them be better. And so we went on and had a had a decent sophomore year, but by my junior year, we actually made it um to the sweet 16 in the in the NCAA tournament. And so we had this turnaround and I think that that light bulb of kind of bringing people on their journey and empowering and help people understand what it is we're all trying to do is is important. And so that lesson has stuck with me throughout my entire career. I'm afraid that if I work for you, you'd ask me to drop and give me 20. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do uh, often have some some competitive uh, games that are at our offsites. That's for sure. So you say that human relationships should be an industry priority. How can your industry evolve to make this a reality? It is about understanding not only what your customers are trying to do from a business, but what the individual customer is doing and helping them make careers from using your products. And when you do that, and you're empathizing with them, and you're helping um, them drive this tremendous value in your organization, that's when you're, you're truly developing these, these partnerships and providing customer success. And so I think it's really important that you understand the people at your customers and really understand the challenges and what they're trying to to drive. 
So mentors are an important part in helping to guide your career. I understand that one of your teenage daughters is on your personal board of advisors. What advice does she give you? She's amazing because she's been yet to be tainted by all the things that we often get clouded with. And she's able to bring things back to kind of a very simplistic term. And she also knows me, the core of what I am. And so she can call me out in a way that people at work wouldn't. And it kind of puts me in my place. And I think that that's really important when you talk about bringing your whole authentic self. It can't just be from one lens. It has to be people that see you from multiple angles, whether it's at home, whether it's someone that works for you versus someone that you report to or someone that just sees you off in a distance at work. It's critical that you have people that can bring that different lens and hold you accountable in different ways. Now, I'm sure you've got mentors other than your teenage daughter. How do you select mentors and where do they play an active role in making you a better leader and a manager? You know, I think it's important that, again, you're looking across all aspects. It can't, mentors are not just people who you've directly worked for or who are, you know, higher in organizations or achieved more than you have. I think it's important that you look at mentors from different angles. So I have a lot of mentors who have worked for me in the past or mentors from other industries. And they can bring these different perspectives. Some of it happens naturally. I mean, I think you can't always force a mentorship. It's what naturally you're connecting with folks. But you can be purposeful in ensuring that the voices you're hearing are coming from these these different environments and different aspects. So what's the best piece of business advice you've ever been given? I've been given a lot of great advice. One is using data to help inform your decisions while also bringing kind of the qualitative stories to bear. And that combination is really powerful where you've got the data to kind of drive some of these decisions, but you're also bringing the emotion and the heart and the qualitative piece of how this is coming to life in your customers, organizations, or for actual individuals as well. You touched on innovation. How do you innovate at Logic Monitor while you're still running fast in hyper growth mode? The million dollar question. It's important that we're constantly evolving with our customers. And so that concept of putting the customers at the center of everything we do drives us to innovate. So for example, we have been a longtime leader in infrastructure monitoring at Logic Monitor, but our customers have asked us to do more. And so we recently launched our logs product and are in the process of launching our APM product. And those were both the request of our customers. And so understanding them, understanding value, what they need, and then creating that innovation around it. So what are some best practices to develop a customer success program and how's that changed over time? Number one, put the customer at the center of of what you're doing and create processes and frameworks that allow you to do that. Number two, put your customers together, create that community and allow your customers to learn from each other. And then number three, use that combination of data and stories to really bring the customer to life. So your training as an engineer will have equipped you to, better than most, be acutely aware about the need to promote STEM subjects in schools. So how soon should we be starting to promote STEM to young women? And is secondary school too late? 
I was really fortunate um, to be introduced to STEM at a young age. Um, I always loved math and um, science and was, you know, in grade school was in the quiz bowls and, and things like that. But I think that that has, I realized later in life that that's uncommon. And so the more that we can um, highlight these careers um, that women can have utilizing STEM and that women are are good. Girls, girls are good at, at STEM and that there are these fantastic careers. Um, I think the, the better. And so I really appreciate you having me on this podcast and, and, you know, I want to encourage women, like it's fun. It's cool to, to do STEM. We're having a great time. So I've worked in sales and engineering like you. There's always this invisible line between the two teams. So what are you doing to connect and break down the conflict between sales and engineering teams that sometimes exist? Well, that's what's so great about being CEO right now. I can help enable that. We've got a product council and the product council brings feedback from our customers and we're able to bring in what are the customers asking us to do and then we connect that to engineering. So it doesn't become an emotional or something that just one person is saying. We're actually putting a formalized kind of process by which we're hearing the feedback of the customers. Again, both qualitative and quantitative. So we've got, you know, clear data that's showing us how our customers using our product and then translate that into value. And we're able to kind of build our products with that in mind. We also have shared metrics. And so it's key that both sales and engineering are driving towards the same outcomes. So the $64 million question, what's the future of customer success? Well, I hope It's many more customer success leaders being in the CEO positions because that's really the future. It's not just a team or a few individuals that are trying to drive it at a company. It's actually coming from the core of a company and coming from the top down and really putting customer success at the heart of the entire company. I look forward to more of that. So we've learned a lot about you in the last half an hour, but I want to run you through a quick fire round to learn just a little bit more about you before we finish. So I'm going to ask you some quick questions. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Window or aisle? Aisle. Online or in the room? In the room. Your biggest hope for 2022? Reconnect with people. What's the app that you use most on your phone? Slack. What's one thing you won't be doing again post-pandemic? Oh, I want to get off of 20-hour conference calls all day. What are you reading at the moment? Well, we're doing an offsite, and so we're reading The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And the final quickfire question, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered and empowering and making a difference in people's lives. So as this is the Actionable Futures podcast, what three actionable things should our audience do today when it comes to better delighting their customers? Connect them together. Number two, tell their stories, bring their stories to light. And number three, bring them on the journey with you. Innovate, even if it's not perfect or ready to go, bring them in early. Great advice. How can people find out more about you and your work? I've got a LinkedIn profile, and so I post frequently there and always welcome DMs too uh, in connecting with people directly. We've got a great website, www.logicmonitor.com. I look forward to hopefully hearing from many people today. Christina, great discussion. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the Actionable Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at actionablefuturist.com. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops delivered in person or virtually at actionablefuturist.com. Until next time, this has been the Actionable Futurist Podcast.